Chapter Four of the Invasion by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Four: Massacre of Germans in London. Daily Telegraph Office, October Twelfth, six p.m. Through the whole of last week, the Germans occupying London suffered great losses. They are now hemmed in on every side. At three o'clock this morning, von Kronhelm, having withdrawn the greater part of the troops from the defense of the bridges, in an attempt to occupy defensive positions in North London, the South Londoners, impatient with long waiting, broke forth and came across the river in enormous multitudes, every man bent upon killing a German wherever seen. The night air was rent everywhere by the hoarse exultant shouts as London, the giant all-powerful city, fell upon the audacious invader. Through our office windows came the dull roar of London's millions swelled by the defenders from the west and south of England, and by the gallant men from Canada, India, the Cape, and other British colonies who had come forward to fight for the mother country as soon as her position was known to be critical. In the streets are to be seen colonial uniforms side by side with a costermonger from Whitechapel or Walworth, and dark-faced Indians and turbans are fighting out in Fleet Street and the Strand. In the great struggle now taking place, many of our reporters and correspondents have unfortunately been wounded, and alas, four of them killed. In these terrible days, a man's life is not safe from one moment to another. Both sides seem to have now lost their heads completely. Among the Germans all semblance of order has apparently been thrown to the winds, it is known that London has risen to a man, and the enemy are therefore fully aware of their imminent peril. Already they are beaten. True, von Kronhelm still sits in the war office directing operations, operations he knows too well are foredoomed to failure. The Germans have, it must be admitted, carried on the war in a chivalrous spirit until those drastic executions exasperated the people then neither side gave quarter, and now today, all through Islington, Hoxton, Kingsland, and Dalston, right out eastwards to Homerton, a perfect massacre of Germans is in progress. Lord Byfield has issued two urgent proclamations, threatening the people of London with all sorts of penalties if they kill instead of taking an enemy prisoner, but they seem to have no effect. London is starved and angered to such a pitch that her hatred knows no bounds, and only blood will atone for the wholesale slaughter of the innocent since the bombardment of the metropolis began. The Kaiser has, we hear, left the Belvedere at Scarborough, where he has been living incognito. A confidential report, apparently well-founded, has reached us that he embarked upon the steam-trawler Morning Star at Scarborough yesterday and set out across the Dogger, with Germany, of course, as his destination. Surely he must now regret his ill-advised policy of making an attack upon England. He had gauged our military weakness very accurately, but he had not counted upon the patriotic spirit of our empire. It may be that he has already given orders to von Kronhelm, but it is nevertheless a very significant fact that the German wireless telegraph apparatus on the summit of Big Ben is in constant use by the German commander-in-chief. He is probably in hourly communication with Bremen, 
or with the Emperor himself upon the trawler Morning Star. Near Highbury Fields about noon today some British cavalry surprised a party of Germans and attempted to take them prisoners. The latter showed fight, whereupon they were shot down to a man. The British held as prisoners by the Germans near Enfield have now been released and are rejoining their comrades along the northern heights. Many believe that another and final battle will be fought north of London, but military men declare that the German power is already broken. Whether von Kronhelm will still continue to lose his men at the rate he is now doing, or whether he will sue for peace, is an open question. Personally he was against the bombardment of London from the very first, yet he was compelled to carry out the orders of his imperial master. The invasion, the landing, and the successes in the north were, in his opinion, quite sufficient to have paralyzed British trade and caused such panic that an indemnity would have been paid. To attack London was, in his opinion, a proceeding far too dangerous, and his estimate is now proved to have been the correct one. Now that they have lost command of the sea and are cut off from their bases in Essex, the enemy's situation is hopeless. They may struggle on, but assuredly the end can only be an ignominious one. Yet the German eagle still flies proudly over the war office, over St. Stephen's, and upon many other public buildings, while upon others British royal standards and Union jacks are commencing to appear, each one being cheered by the excited Londoners, whose hearts are now full of hope. Germany shall be made to bite the dust. That is the war cry everywhere. Many a proud Uhlan and Cruzier has to-day ridden to his death amid the dense mobs, mad with the lust of blood. Some of the more unfortunate of the enemy have been lynched and torn limb from limb, while others have died deaths too horrible to hear describe in detail. Each hour brings to us further news showing how, by slow degrees, the German army of occupation is being wiped out. People are jeering at the audacious claim for indemnity presented to the British government when the enemy entered London and are asking whether we will not present a claim to Germany. Von Kronhelm is not blamed so much as his emperor. He has been the cat's paw and has burned his fingers in endeavouring to snatch the chestnuts from the fire. As a commander he has acted justly, fully observing the international laws concerning war. It was only when faced by the problem of a national uprising that he countenanced anything bordering upon capital punishment. An hour ago our censors were withdrawn. They came and shook hands with many members of the staff and retired. This surely is a significant fact that von Kromhelm hopes to regain the confidence of London by appearing to treat her with a fatherly solicitude, or is it that he intends to sue for peace at any price? An hour ago another desperate attempt was made on the part of the men of South London, aided by a large body of British regulars, to regain possession of the war office. Whitehall was once more the scene of a bloody fight, but so strongly does von Kronhelm hold the place and all the adjacent thoroughfares, he apparently regarding it as his own fortress, that the attack was repulsed with heavy loss on our side. All the bridges are now open. The barricades are in most cases being blown up, and people are passing and repassing freely for the first time since the day following the memorable bombardment. London streets, however, in a most deplorable condition. 
on every hand is ruin and devastation. Whole streets of houses rendered gaunt and windowless by the now-spent fires meet the eye everywhere. In certain places the ruins were still smoldering, and in one or two districts the conflagration spread over an enormous area. Even if peace be declared, can London ever recover from this present wreck? Paris recovered, and quickly too. Therefore we place our faith in British wealth, British industry, and British patriotism. Yes, the tide has turned. The great revenge now in progress is truly a mad and bloody one. In Kilburn this afternoon there was a wholesale killing of a company of German infantry who, while marching along the high road, were set upon by the armed mob and practically exterminated. The smaller thoroughfares, Brondesbury Road, Victoria Road, Glendale Road, and Priory Park Road across the Paddington Cemetery were the scene of a frightful slaughter. The Germans died hard, but in the end were completely wiped out. German baiting is now indeed the Londoner's pastime, and on this dark and rainy afternoon hundreds of men of the fatherland have died upon the wet roads. Sitting here in a newspaper office as we do, and having fresh reports constantly before us, we are able to review the whole situation impartially. Every moment, through the various news agencies and our own correspondents and contributors, we are receiving fresh facts, facts which all combine to show that von Kronhelm cannot hold out much longer. Surely the commander-in-chief of a civilized army will not allow his men to be massacred as they are now being. The enemy's troops, mixed up in the maze of London streets as they are, are utterly unable to cope with the oncoming multitudes, some armed with rifles and others with anything they can lay their hands upon. Women, wild, infuriated women, have now made their reappearance north of the Thames. In more than one instance where German soldiers have attempted to take refuge in houses, these women have obtained petrol and, with screams of fiendish delight, set the houses in question on fire. Awful dramas are being enacted in every part of the metropolis. The history of today is written in German blood. Lord Byfield has established temporary headquarters at Jack Straw's Castle, where von Kronhelm was during the bombardment, and last night we could see the signals exchanged between Hampstead and Sydenham Hill, from whence General Bamford has not yet moved. Our cavalry in Essex are, it is said, doing excellent work. Lord Byfield has also sent a body of troops across from Gravesend to Tilbury, and these have regained Malden and Southminster after some hard fighting. Advices from Gravesend state that further reinforcements are being sent across the river to operate against the east of London and hem in the Germans on that side. So confident is London of success that several of the railways are commencing to reorganize their traffic. A train left Willesden this afternoon for Birmingham, the first since the bombardment, while another has left Finsbury Park for Peterborough to continue to York if possible. So wrecked are the London termini, however, that it must be some weeks before trains can arrive or be dispatched from either Euston, King's Cross, Paddington, Marleybone, or St. Pancras. In many cases the line just north of the terminus is interrupted by a blown-up tunnel or a fallen bridge, therefore the termination of traffic must, for the present, be at some distance north on the outskirts of London. Shops are also opening in South London, though they have but little to sell. 
nevertheless this may be regarded as a sign of renewed confidence. Besides, supplies of provisions are now arriving, and the London County Council and the Salvation Army are distributing free soup and food in the lower-class districts. Private charity, everywhere abundant during the trying days of dark despair, is doing inestimable good among every class. The hard, grasping employer and the smug financier, who had hitherto kept scrupulous accounts and have been noteworthy on account of their uncharitableness, have now, in the hour of need, come forward and subscribed liberally to the great mansion-house fund opened yesterday by the deputy Lord Mayor of London. The subscription list occupies six columns of the issue of tomorrow's paper, and this in itself speaks well for the open-heartedness of the moneyed classes of Great Britain. No movement has yet been made in the financial world. Bankers still remain with closed doors. The bullion seized at Southminster and other places is now under strong British guard, and will, it is supposed, be returned to the bank immediately. Only a comparatively small sum has yet been sent across to Germany. Therefore all von Kronhelm's strategy has utterly failed. By the invasion Germany has, up to the present moment, gained nothing. She has made huge demands at which we can afford to jeer. True, she has wrecked London, but have we not sent the greater part of her fleet to the bottom of the North Sea, and have we not created havoc in German ports? The leave-taking of our two gold spectacle censors was almost pathetic. We had come to regard them as necessities to puzzle and to play practical jokes of language upon. Today, for the first time, we have received none of those official notices in German with English translations which of late have appeared so prominently in our columns. The German eagle is gradually disentangling his talons from London and means to escape us, if he can. 10.30 p.m. Private information has just reached us from a most reliable source that a conference has been arranged between von Kronhelm and Lord Byfield. This evening the German field marshal sent a messenger to the British headquarters at Hampstead under a flag of truce. He bore a dispatch from the German commander asking that hostilities should be suspended for twenty-four hours and that they should make an appointment for a meeting during that period. Von Kronhelm has left the time and place of meeting to Lord Byfield and has informed the British commander that he has sent telegraphic instruction to the German military commanders of Birmingham, Sheffield, Manchester, Bradford, Leeds, Northampton, Stafford, Oldham, Wigan, Bolton, and other places giving notice of his suggestion to the British, and ordering that for the present hostilities on the part of the Germans shall be suspended. It seems more than likely that the German field marshal has received these very definite instructions by wireless telegraph from the Emperor at Bremen or Potsdam. We understand that Lord Byfield, after a brief consultation by telegraph with the government at Bristol, has sent a reply. Of its nature, however, nothing is known and at the moment of writing hostilities are still in progress. In an hour's time we shall probably know whether the war is to continue or a truce is to be proclaimed. Midnight. Lord Byfield has granted a truce, and hostilities have now been suspended. London has gone mad with delight, for the German yoke is cast off. Further information, which has just reached us from private sources, 
states that thousands of prisoners have been taken by Lord Byfield today, and that von Kronhelm has acknowledged his position to be absolutely hopeless. The German army has been defeated by our British patriots who have fought so valiantly and so well. It is not likely that the war will be resumed. Von Kronhelm received a number of British officers at the war office half an hour ago, and it is said that he is already making preparations to vacate the post he has usurped. Lord Byfield has issued a reassuring message to London, which we have just received with instructions to print. It declares that although for the moment only a truce is proclaimed, yet this means the absolute cessation of all hostilities. The naval news of the past few days may be briefly summarized. The British main fleet entered the North Sea, and our submarines did most excellent work in the neighborhood of the mass lightship. Prince Stahlberger had concentrated practically the whole of his naval force off Lostock, but a desperate battle was fought about seventy miles from the Texel, full details of which are not yet to hand. All that is known is that, having now regained command of the sea, we were enabled to inflict a crushing defeat upon the Germans, in which the German flagship was sunk. In the end, sixty-one British ships were concentrated against seventeen German, with the result that the German fleet has practically been wiped out, there being nineteen thousand of the enemy's officers and men on the casualty list, the greatest recorded in any naval battle. Whatever may be the demands for indemnity on either side, one thing is absolutely certain, namely, that the invincible German army and navy are completely vanquished. The eagle's wings are trailing in the dust. End of chapter 4. Recording by Tom Weiss, tomsaudiobooks.com.